Welcome to our listeners, and thank you so much for attending the PATC podcast. Uh, My name is Mark Waterfill. I'm the president and owner of Public Agency Training Council. PATC is the longest-running and largest provider of seminars for police and fire departments. We also have classes for school teachers, school administrators, and other public officials. And we're very happy today to have Kimberly Jones with us. Uh, Kimberly, hello. Hi. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. Uh, Tell our audience a little bit about your background. Thank you for having me. I am a corporal with the Lubbock Police Department in Texas. I've been an officer there for about 10 years now. I spent four of it on patrol, two in academy and training, and now I've spent about another four of it uh, working in a crisis intervention team unit. So fantastic. So did you grow up there in and around Lubbock? I didn't actually. I grew up in the Panhandle um, in a very small town called Friona. And then I came to Lubbock to attend Texas Tech University and get my degree in sociology. I see. And so are you a protege of Dr. Andy Young? Yes, he and I work very closely together. Fantastic. He's one of our podcast participants as well as an excellent instructor for us and does a fantastic job uh, in our classes. Tell our audience a little bit about your background, your family, perhaps hobbies, things you like to do outside of work. As I said, I have a degree in uh, sociology with an emphasis in criminology and some a little bit of master's work in forensics. I have my parents and my sister, and I have three nieces, one brand new niece, actually. She was born on the 26th of May. I also have... Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. I have three dogs that kind of run my life, and uh, we just bought a house, so we're just adjusting to that for the moment. Some of my hobbies are crocheting. That sounds very old lady, but I've been doing it since I was nine. And I love to read and do CrossFit. And what is CrossFit? It's functional fitness. It's a little bit of everything. It's movement and cardio and weightlifting and just getting in shape or well, physically well, but they're meeting you where you're at, essentially. I see. Okay. And are those classes that you go to? You can go to classes. Um, they have specific gyms just for CrossFit. Um, I don't. I don't belong to any gym. The physical fitness instructors here for our police department are very uh, knowledgeable in CrossFit. So I do a lot of the workouts that they provide through our department. Well, tell our listeners about the classes that you teach for PATC. Absolutely. So I teach hostage one hostage negotiation one and two. Um, I've been a negotiator for the Lubbock Police Department for the last eight years of my career. It's a breakdown of all the basic skills for hostage negotiation and then also added in a little meat and potatoes, extra things that can help them improve themselves as they move through their career as a negotiator. Well, give us a little more idea about that. So so what types of uh, career advice are helping your students move through their careers? What, what do you instruct them about in that regard? My first thing that I tell them at the beginning of every class is that this is just the beginning. And once you leave this class, it's your job to seek out additional knowledge about uh, negotiations or even communication in general, because that's 
really what negotiation is about is communicating effectively with people to get them to the point that they're able to be more rash and come to a different or a behavioral change essentially. And so I'll provide them books, book suggestions, article suggestions. We stay in contact after the class and talk about call outs and things like that. But active listening skills is the base of good hostage negotiation, any type of negotiation, really, whether it's hostage or business or personal. And so when you effectively practice those, those things are what are going to make you so successful moving through your career. And we we talk about those in depth and then we put it into practice in the class and we start small and we work our way up to the last day where we do a big scale uh, scenario. So there are some practical aspects to the class as well. Yes. Yeah. I think that you can't get a real understanding of how to apply active listening unless it, and then get feedback on how to make it feel more natural and adjust to adjust it to your already speaking style or communication style. What kind of hands-on tasks do you do in the class? We do a lot of different, um, I say scenarios, but really it's they're, they're small sections and we'll test them on each or I'll not test them, but I'll um, challenge them on each portion of the active listening techniques and then make it try and make it fun. So we make games out of it and things like that. And then is there also uh, hostage scenarios that you go through? So we lead up to it. We start out small and work our way up to that training. And then we do what I call a full scale scenario where I give them basically a call or a situation where someone is barricaded and there are hostages involved and we'll put them into a primary role and a secondary role. We'll have coaches, we'll have intel, and we'll work all of the positions of a negotiator team And then we also throughout the day will rotate. So each person has an opportunity to practice those different positions. Do you use a crisis phone or other type of equipment? Sometimes we do. It's because of travel and because my team needs our phones. It's a we're kind of at the whim of whatever department uh, we're teaching at. So if they have that equipment available, then we absolutely will use it. And then if it's not available, we'll use cell phones, we'll use text messages, we'll do a lot of things like that. Because even organically, when we start negotiating, a lot of times it happens via cell phone or via text message these days. So it's not totally out of the realm of possibility. Do you talk about negotiating with uh, individuals who may have disabilities or other conditions that make it more difficult? Yes. So we we talk in depth, too. We have a whole section just for talking to individuals that have mental health concerns because those the on top of experiencing emotional crisis, if you're having some sort of other mental health crisis that can add to the layers of difficulty in speaking with people. And so we talk about tips and tricks on how to bring people back to a more grounded level or back in touch with reality and things like that. How about dealing with individuals with autism or who are on the spectrum in some form or another? Um, Is that something that's presented? 
we touch on it briefly, I believe, but we don't we don't go into it as much as the uh, suicidal ideations, attempts, the depression, the mood disorders, or the psychosis events. In your work as a police officer, what is the most common type of event that you see? Are they domestic issues, suicidal issues? What what is often seen? In my opinion, or in my interactions, I believe that as a negotiator, it's a pretty 50-50 split between domestic events and suicidal subjects. Are there different approaches with each scenario? There can be. So again, the base for all of those are going to be those skills, allowing that person to ventilate their feelings and frustrations about what got that point. But for domestic type of situations and suicidal ideations uh, or suicide type of interaction, I would approach those pretty similarly as opposed to someone that is taking a true hostage situation like a bank type of event. Those have very different motives behind it. But again, it goes back to active listening skills. Describe for me your perspective as a woman in in law enforcement. What unique challenges do you have in that way? As far as uh, law enforcement in general or negotiations? Well, either avenue that you'd like to describe. Actually have in my career, I feel like I'm very fortunate. I have discovered that I've been more successful in communicating with people or just achieving things without um, necessarily having to go hands on as opposed to um, some of our some of my male counterparts that are quick to lose the words and go straight to physical force. So I I feel very fortunate in that, but also people feel comfortable talking to me sometimes. I don't know, something about my face, maybe. I don't, I'm not sure. (laughs) Are there many women in your department? We have about 10% of our, of our agency is women. And is that a growing percentage uh, over time? I believe so. They're making a big push in the last year to make our agency at least 30% female. So we'll see how that goes. Well, that's great. Are you involved in any of the women in law enforcement conferences or committees, things like that? I'm getting to attend our women in law enforcement conference for our state in, I think it's in September this year. So I'm very excited about that. I haven't been in a few years, but we have a wellness program in our departments. And within that wellness program, we have a women's subcommittee and I am committee. Good. And so there are particular issues for women in law enforcement that the wellness committee is hoping to um, tackle. Absolutely. There are so many that are not as lucky as I am to have such good supervision or the ability to go to their supervisors when they have some sort of female specific need or they they just don't feel comfortable doing that. And uh, so they can come to this committee and ask the whole group for resources that might be available that they don't know about and we can direct them to the right part, but also it's about camaraderie. So we do events quarterly to get the women in the police department together to learn about each other and make those relationships. Fantastic. Are you the most senior female officer in your department or are there others who've come before you? No, I have many mentors ahead of me that I have been able to follow and shape my career by. 
Wonderful. Fantastic. Well, I, I know that you had excellent news coverage with your first class for us, I think. Oh, gosh. The television station. I, I can't remember the call letters of the TV station. I think it was KOBK, something yeah, like that. Yeah, and they did a wonderful job. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you to our friends at KOBK. Yes. Who had a an excellent news report uh, on Kimberly's class uh, we were we we thought it was just fantastic. We really appreciated it. Yeah, I was very nervous to sit down with them because <laughs> I hadn't taught a class yet with you guys. So I was like, I I I feel like we should do this afterwards. See how it goes. We need to communicate with your publicist because you have excellent marketing. Uh, yes, yeah, they're great. And did a wonderful job. Any closing thoughts that you would uh, leave with the, our listeners? I am just so grateful for the opportunity to network with all these people all over the United States that are wanting to be negotiators. And I learn something from them every time I get to participate in a class. A lot of times it's not about the person that's standing up there delivering the information. It's the people that are receiving it and then giving their own opinions back about how they feel about a certain topic. So everybody that participates in those classes are so relevant and necessary to how hostage negotiation as a whole is going to move forward. So I'm so grateful for those guys. Well, wonderful. We'll, we are grateful uh, for our relationship with you. You do a fantastic job. Thank you so much for all of your hard work and have a great rest of your week. You too. Thank you so much.